Welcome to City Life Church Podcast. Our desire is that all may come to know Christ and fulfill their purpose in life. We welcome you to head over to our website for more information. God bless you and enjoy the message. Amen. Uh, I want to do something a little bit different if I could bother you and ask the praise team to come back for a minute. Is that okay? I appreciate the opportunity to uh, speak to you out of the Word of God today. If you would prepare, and I have to get used to the fact that folks don't really bring Bibles anymore, so that's a tough adjustment for me. So whatever you have the Bible on or in, would you turn to the book of Romans, chapter 8, 28? I, I want to kind of continue. Pastor Steve had been talking about uh, rising to adversity. And I just want to uh, talk a little bit about that again today. Britt did such a beautiful job last Sunday. If you heard that, how many of you heard that? Okay, it was a very good message. And the reason I want the worship team to come back because I really felt like uh, worship prepares the heart for the word. Is that all right? And so I want to encourage you today in this way, in the message. The message, if you had to have a title, would be uh, trusting God's good. Okay, so I just want to do a little bit more of this song and worship while you prepare to read Romans chapter 8, verse 28. And I would love it if we could just read it. I don't know if you have it. We can put it up and just look at it. And then I just want you to concentrate for a second on this song, the words of the song, I will exalt you, okay? So Romans chapter 8, 28, this is what it says. And we know in all, that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him and who have been called according to his purpose. I want to talk from that scripture today, and I want to work a little backwards in it. And the point of it is trusting God's good. You can see in the scripture, he works for good. Amen. So the challenge is, no matter where you're at right now, what you're going through, to exalt him in it and look for his good. Is that okay? So I just want to get our hearts right now. I don't know what you're at and what you're going through. And it may not be nothing. You don't have to be going through anything. It could be just the next thing for your life. I just want us to concentrate for a moment before we get into the word by just saying, I will exalt you. You can sit where you are and just concentrate on that and then we'll begin, okay? things 
God works for the good of those who love him and are the called according to his purpose. Thank you, worship team. I told you at one point I was going to, uh, some of you may have remembered, I told you at one point I was going to tell you about my going to jail. Oh, yeah, I went to jail. And I want to tell you a little bit about that today as we kind of look at this scripture. And I want to work backwards in the scripture to kind of help us to understand when we're in difficult things, we have to look and trust God's good. God has a good in a thing. And if the thing is not good, God can bring good out of the thing. Does that make any sense? When we're in a thing, the thing challenges us. And I want to point out in this scripture some ways it challenges us and how we can begin to trust God for the good in the thing. I'm telling this story first, so as we talk to the scripture, maybe you'll have a little bit of reference or background. It's a true story that happened for me, so I'm going to be vulnerable with you for a minute, okay? So I used to be married, and I was uh, living in Tacoma, Washington, and this particular day, my family and I were sitting down for dinner, and I decided we needed something to drink before we all eat. So I ran to the store to get something to drink. They're waiting on me. I pull out the driveway, going to run to the store, which is only about five minutes away. And when I pull out, a policeman pulls me over just as soon as I round the corner. When he pulls me over, I'm a Christian. I'm living right. I'm pretty happy. It's nothing. Maybe I got a light out or whatever it is. And when he pulls me over, he asks like they do for your ID and those kind of things, right? And I give it to him. He comes back to the car. He says, well, son, you're going to have to go downtown with me. And I'm a Christian, so I'm thinking, okay, God, test, right? Surely this is a test. I'll keep faith. So I decide, and I didn't decide, but I get out the car. He handcuffs me, puts me in the car. I feel pretty privileged because I feel my faith is being tested, and I'm about to walk this out. My family don't know what's happened because you don't really get that phone call till you get to jail. I'm thinking they're going to take me downtown. We're going to clear this up. I'll be back home just a little bit later. I get downtown. They start to take my picture and fingerprint me. I go, oh, Lord, don't worry. I'm going to stay faithful. This is nothing. They're going to take me through this, and then I'm going to be fine. They fingerprint me, take my picture, put me in one of the little rooms to hold you for a while, and I sit there for probably 40 minutes. But I'm thinking, okay, God, test me if you will. I have faith. Surely you're going to get me out of this. I remember Paul in jail and other things like that happened. So not a problem. I sit there for about an hour, goes by, and then the man knocks on the door, and I ask him, can I make my phone call? I make my phone call home. I say to my family, hey, listen, a uh, little delay. Go ahead and start dinner without me. I'll be there. Don't worry. You're not going to have drinks today, but it's okay. They want to know what happened. Of course, I said, I'll stop by the police, and I'm down at the police station. Surely I'll take care of this. It won't be long. Next thing I know, after my phone call, I sit a few more minutes. The man comes walking in the room. He brings me some clothes. This is getting serious. 
He gives me some orange clothes. You got the little orange suit and some shoes. And he tells me to go in there and put this on. I go in to put the clothes on. I'm dressing. And I'm thinking, okay, God, okay, all right, I trust you. But this is getting serious. And I put the little clothes on. I sit in the room for a little while longer. And later on, probably it must be uh, three or four hours and passed since I got stopped. It was about 8 o'clock. It's probably close to midnight now. So I'm thinking, okay, all right, so midnight, coincidentally, yeah, you're going to get me out at midnight. All I got to do is pray at midnight. Oh, I'm in the jail cell now. They done tuck me into this cell, set me in a crowded cell. Cells are not that big. Jail is not designed to be comfortable. So it's a little bitty cell, and it's crowded. In a, in a cell, there's a few beds, maybe for about eight people, but there are about 16 people in this cell. So when I walk in, I got a blanket, I got a pillow, I got a roll of toilet paper, and they tell me to find your spot at midnight in a dark cell, and the only thing I can really see is a water fountain, a toilet, and people everywhere. So I just step inside the door and sit right there away from the door, and I go into a solemn protest because I remembered uh, Daniel, that I'm just not going to eat the food, and I'm not going to do nothing because I'm not going to be here long. And... It's Friday night. Technically, I knew you're probably not going to get out Saturday. But God's going to work a miracle for me. I was in the right spot for a miracle. It was perfect for a miracle. So I kept praying. God, I know you're going to get me out. I'm talking to myself. This won't be long. Morning comes. They bring me breakfast. I'm Daniel. I'm not going to eat that breakfast. Not going to eat none of the food. I'm in protest. I don't belong here. I don't eat the food. Prisoners are kind of funny people. They're people, but they're funny when they're in there. So they want your food. And they take the food. I said, take it. Not a problem. Lunchtime comes. I'm still in there. Now I'm getting upset. God, come on. I trusted you. You didn't stop it last night, and you didn't get me out at midnight. What's going on? Now it's Saturday morning, Saturday afternoon. I'm still here. Why am I still here? He brings me lunch. I don't eat the lunch. I'm protesting. Now, it may be important to note that at this time in my life, I'm a preacher at my church in Tacoma. Sunday's coming. I'm not going to be at church. My biggest problem was that I didn't know what I was going to tell everybody. Because how am I going to say, hey, you know what, I'm sorry I missed Sunday. I was in jail. So I'm sitting thinking to myself, God, this is me and my demand self. You have to get me out of here by Sunday. I have to be at church. In my church there, I was an a assistant pastor, so I did a lot on the pulpit, so it would be easy to notice I'm not there. I was the worship leader, so it would have been easy to notice I'm not there. I'm worried. So I'm getting upset now. Saturday afternoon is passing by. Prisoners are enjoying themselves. They know how this works. They're telling me, relax, you're not getting out of here before Monday. I'm like, no. And I'm balled up in the corner, still in protest. I begin to say to God, God, this is not fair. I don't belong here. Seven o'clock in the evening, eight o'clock at night. I'm still having the same conversation. It's dark. I'm sitting in the same spot. Being a going to the toilet around you and all kinds of things. And I'm looking around saying, God, I don't belong here. 
Why am I here? You're supposed to get me out of stuff. I trusted you. And I'm upset. Sunday night rolls. I'm in protest. I don't even want to sleep. I just happen to fall asleep anyway. And I'm sitting up by the jail cell, up by the bars, and I'm asleep. And I hear somebody say to me, late over into Sunday night, early Sunday morning, somebody said, hey. And I look around because we're in a crowded jail cell. Hey, you. And the guy's little ways from me is crawling up to me. And I'm in jail, so I'm thinking, okay, you got to pretend you know karate or something. <laughs> it's like 3, 4 o'clock in the morning. This dude talking about, hey. <laughs> Plus, I'm mad because I don't belong here. And I don't want to talk to anyone. Why are you bothering me? Hey. I ignore him and pretend to be asleep till he gets close enough to touch me. Hey. I said, what? He said, are you a preacher? <laughs> now I'm in a dilemma. <laughs> he don't know the dilemma he caused. Okay, I'm sitting here in jail. I'm mad at God. I'm upset because I'm in this predicament. My family don't know what's going on. I'm sitting here and you crawl up to me and ask me, hey, are you a preacher? I got one more dilemma. My dilemma is I didn't know whether to lie or not. He put me in an even worse place because now I am a preacher, but I don't want to say that in jail. I already have to deal with Sunday morning. So I just tried to get smart. Why? Why do you ask me that? And I tried to say it with enough attitude to make him leave me alone. What you asking me that for? And he says, hey, I know you're a preacher. Now I'm really concerned. <laughs> How do you know I'm a preacher? You seen me? He said, no. I said, what do you mean you know I'm a preacher? He says, I know you're a preacher. Because I've been praying. And when I saw you come in, I knew you was the one. And I'm thinking, I'm the one. What do you mean? So he pulls up and he starts to say to me, I've been praying for God to help me and to send me somebody. Because Monday morning, I'm going up for death row. And I needed a preacher. And I prayed that God would send me somebody who can tell me about Jesus because I don't want to die without him. I broke down in that cell, embarrassed, not because I'm in jail anymore, but because I was so selfish. I thought it was about me in jail. God, how many of you know what providence is? Let me see. You know what providence is? How many of you got some things in your life you can look back on and you can see it after it's over that that was God? How many of you got some of those? Okay. Providence, let's put that up for me. Providence is God's power to work and protect and preserve his will through secondary causes. What that means is you and I are doing things that seem to mean nothing. And because it's not necessarily what God wants to happen, 
God decides to use that anyway to get his will done. Does that make sense? So here I am, living life as a preacher, thinking things are good, and there was a ticket I'd never paid that got me arrested. And I've been years knowing nothing about that ticket. And the night I want Kool-Aid, I've planned a sit-down dinner. I've got to be on stage Sunday morning. And God uses my ignorance of the ticket, my desire for Kool-Aid, my willingness to go to the store, and the policeman's position at that time to pull me over because there was a man in jail who needed Jesus. All things work together for good. God works in all things for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Let me work this backwards. It doesn't work that way for everybody. It works that way for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. I'm not going to deal with the call according to his purpose because that's too much Bible study. Let me deal with the, those who love him. The reason I want to deal with this is because I hear lots of people say they love God. Lots of them, everywhere. But in this verse, the word love, when it say those who love him, is agapio, agapio. The word means actively love. Agape, a simple way to understand agape love is preference. It's to prefer a thing. When you prefer God over everything else, you actively demonstrate that. You are doing whatever you're doing because I prefer God's will to be done. So what I'm doing in a situation, if I'm loving him, I'm looking for his will. Does that make sense? I was more concerned about Kool-Aid and dinner and not being ashamed and not being embarrassed. God was trying to save somebody. Now, fortunately, because I'm a Christian, I love his will. I just don't know it all the time. I don't understand what he's doing all the time. So this agape, this agapeo means that even when I don't understand it, I'm actively pursuing it. I'm pursuing him. Because loving him is what I'm doing, not what I think and feel. Does that make sense? Everybody don't love him. And you have to determine if you love him. So when he says all he works in all things, especially he's trying to point out to us, if you love me, you can count on me for good. Now, he then says... Working backwards, God works together in all things. I want to deal a little bit with these in all things for good. One of the things that happens is when you look at this verse, you and I are brought into some clear challenges when we face circumstances. Okay? When he talks about all things, that's including everything, right? Right? Nothing's left out of that, right? 
not just in the things that I understand, the things I agree with, the things I like, the things that I think, but even things I would never agree with or like or think. He's working in them. Does that make sense? So I don't always know what he's doing. And when I don't know, I'm challenged. So the promise being to us, I want you to pay attention to this. Providence, when you look at providence in all things, his purpose may not be clear to you. His purpose may not be clear to me. But the challenge when we don't understand it is still to trust that he has a good in it. His good for me was not getting out of jail. That would have been good to me. Right? I wouldn't have never described good in any other way. That would have been good. Getting out before, I could have got out at 10.55 Sunday morning in time enough to be there at 11 Sunday, and that would have been good to me. I would have said, he may not come when you want him, but he's always on time. But he didn't do that. I was in jail Sunday morning all the way through to Monday. When I get to the court Monday, my family shows up. I walk into the courthouse. If you don't know, if you've never been in jail in an orange suit, it's kind of embarrassing. Before I get to the court, I'm sitting there saying to God, I don't belong here. Let me tell you what God said to me. God said, look around the cell. And I looked. And he said, what do you see? I said, I see a bunch of criminals. He said, look again. And I looked again, because at that point I still had an attitude. I see a bunch of criminals, people who've done wrong, they belong here. And when I looked again, I said, in orange suits. Then God said to me, now look at yourself. What's the difference between you and them? You're all in orange suits. If you don't belong here, live differently. Because everybody in my sight belongs in an orange suit. The only difference is some have accepted and trust me. Some still don't. You see, sometimes God allows circumstances we don't understand because they begin to challenge what you believe about God's love for you. You don't question your love for God and God's love for you as long as things are going well. So sometimes you and I have a false understanding of God and God's love because we're in our comfortable place. You can have an idea about God and it'd be totally wrong. Ask Job. And then God brings you through stuff. And your idea about God is then bringing conflict with you and your thoughts about how he loves you. You get an inner turmoil. God, I thought you said you loved me. I thought you said I could trust you. I thought you said you would be there for me. And he did. But your perception of it your understanding of it is marred. Your idea of God. I've heard people say to me, God don't want me to go through tough things. I'm with you. I agree. But you might have to. You see, providence means God's going to use all of the stuff we got to throw out there. The mistakes we make, the bad choices, and he's still going to bring us to one or two things. He's only got two things he's trying to do. He's trying to bring you and I to the image of Christ. And he's trying to save the world. When I'm in a situation, 
I don't think about those two things. I think about what I want, what I think I need, what I think is good for me, what I think ought to be happening. And when I'm in that circumstances, God's good and his definition of good brings my good into conflict. You understand me? When things are happening, you are now faced with the question, so what does it mean when God say he's good? What does it mean when God say he'll heal? What does it mean that God say he will always be there? You and I have distorted ideas about God, and God wants to straighten them out. Circumstance is one way he allows us to be challenged in our faith level with him so he can straighten it out. Does that make sense? He wanted me there for the prisoner, but he also did something for me. God's good was to save the man. I was rewarded in the process. It was good for me to sit there and look at folks and think I'm so much different just because I'm saved. Not recognize the only difference is that I'm saved. I still, in God's sight, if it wasn't enough for his mercy, have an orange suit. Before they arrested me, they showed me the ticket. Guilty. They took my fingerprints. Guilty. I've been declared guilty. And I still had nerve enough to sit there like say, I don't belong here. This is a place for who? Criminals. Folks who break the law. What did you do? Break the law. All right, you're right, God. I allowed my position in church and my relationship with God to make me forget some very important things. God's good is not the same as mine. God wants to challenge your level and understanding of good. God's good is always bigger than your situation. God's good is bigger than your desire. It's always including much, much more than what you and I are thinking. We want to know what's going on, but God wants us to trust him. I fussed because I had no idea what all he was doing. So I complained when really I should trust. God works in all things. God has a level of good. If they go back up then, what happens is, in this verse, it not only shows how a circumstance raises a question in us, but the verse also gives you and I some direction. And I want to point out the question it raises and the direction it gives us. It's found in the first three words of the verse. And we know. You see, when you're in a predicament, a circumstance, what's being questioned is what you think you know. I hold we don't know God that well. Not enough to relax and think we got it figured out. I think that every time you are in a situation, the question about what you really know about God is brought up. Job said in verse chapter 42 of Job, after he had argued with God, and at the end of his dilemmas, Job said, God, I got to apologize. I had heard about you, and I thought I trusted you. But having listened to you after coming through all of this, I realized I've spoken about things that were too wonderful to me, things way outside of my understanding. 
And the Bible said Job repented in sackcloth and ashes. Not because of his sins in doing something wrong or his difficult life, because he misunderstood God. And in that trial, he came face to face with what he thought he knew about God. Not only, though, does it question the and we know also gives you direction. And that's the good news. You see, when you are in a difficult situation and you are a Christian, I ask you, how many of you have looked back over a thing and seen what God was doing after it was over? Right? And you said yes, right? I could probably go further and ask you lots of questions about have you seen God's miracles? Right? I could ask you, how many of you honestly really think God is good? Right? This verse is saying, listen, when you're in a thing that you don't understand and you don't agree with it and you don't like it, what you do is stop trying to figure the thing out and go back to what you know. It's what you know that will help you. It's what you know that will keep you. It's what you know that you can use to navigate through a difficult time. Because if you stand on what you know, you will come out of it all right. You know God is good. So when it doesn't feel good, stay on what you know. You know he loves you. So when it doesn't seem like it, stand on what you know. You and I are challenged as believers in this verse. We should know some things. Listen, there's plenty I don't know. Lots I don't know. Oh, man, if you give me a test, I'm going to fail it. If that was a test in that story, I was failing. I thought some things about God, but there were some things I did know. I know I'm saved. Because I know I'm saved, I know he's a good shepherd. Because he's a good shepherd, I know I shall not want. I know if I call upon him, he will answer. I've seen him do that. Is that right? Some of the trouble we have is echoed in Psalms 23 in the verse that says, Yea, though I walk through the, of the, see the problem with that verse, and it was my problem. It was my problem. I had trusted God to go into some things, but I never trusted him through some things. See, I was the kind of person growing up, I would go into a thing and never finish it, just run back out of it. Because I'd stay as long as I was comfortable. And when it got too unbearable, I'd escape it. I hold that the shepherd wants to lead you through it. Through it takes a lot of courage. Through it can only be done through faith. Through it requires you to stay with what you know. All I know is if I keep my eyes on him, what's in the hills? I don't know. What could happen around the corner? I don't know. What is this for? I don't know. Why did he bring me this way? I don't know. What I do know is if I follow him. Do you remember the story about the man who was blind and Jesus healed him, or crippled rather, and Jesus healed him and he went into the temple and people said, hey, by what authority are you walking around here with your bed? Right? Or how about the blind man who was healed? And he, they said, hey, isn't it the same man who was sitting down blind? How is it that now he's seeing? And then they took him into court. Both guys got challenged. So how are you doing this? What's going on here? And the blind man said it most plainly. 
I don't have a theological degree. I don't know all of that stuff you're asking me. But what I do know is once I was blind, but now I see. Now you tell me who he is. You see, the biggest challenge for me is to stick with what I know all the way through it. I'm so easily swayed. It gets off track. So easily set aside because things distract me from what I know. When I stay with what I know, it's me trusting God's good. I don't know where you're taking me. I don't know what's going to happen, but I trust you. On the end of that, it always accomplishes two things. Someone's going to get saved, whether you see it or not, and you're going to be brought into the image of Christ. What I really love about that is it comes with stuff. It still comes with stuff. Stuff, let me tell you what I mean, stuff. It comes with money. It comes with earthly rewards. It comes with benefits that has nothing to do with heaven. Let me tell you how. Because once I got out, I was in court. I'm in an orange suit and handcuffs. <laughs> I'm standing there before the judge. It's my time. He calls your name out loud. <laughs> MacMath. I'm like, look. Can you whisper that? MacMath. Let me sneak up. Now your chains are ringing. Ting, 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 ting. And then he wants you to state your name for the court. Ralph, my name is Tony McMath. Speak up, son. I'm like, come on, judge, isn't this enough? And the judge sits there quietly while I'm standing there embarrassed. My family is there, little kids. They have no idea what's going on. <laughs> you don't know whether to wave on them or tell them. <laughs> really, I was hoping, I hope they don't recognize me. <laughs> they back to Harlem. They're in court. It's Monday, Monday afternoon. I've been in here all since Friday. I didn't get Kool-Aid or dinner. <laughs> I'm standing in front of the judge at the little podium. You know, when you're, when you're arrested and you don't have your own attorney, they give you one, right? I don't even have one of them. I don't know where they at. I know I'm supposed to have one. I'm orange. Somebody's supposed to be here. I'm standing there by myself. I don't know whether to cry or laugh or just plead my case or what. The judge just doesn't say anything to me. He looks after he asks me my name. He goes through some papers and he says to me, Mr. McMath, you were in here all weekend? And I tried to get sad. Yes, Your Honor. <laughs> he says to me, Mr. McMath, I don't see any reason why we kept you over the weekend. These things are really old. There are fines you had to pay, and you have to pay them. Well, I'll tell you what I'll do. Since you've been here all weekend, just forget all those fines. We'll wipe your record out and make everything right. Is that okay? And I went, what? He said, yeah, no fines, no penalties. Whatever was there, we just forget it ever happened and go on about our business. Is that okay? I didn't know what to do for sure now. Because <laughs> normally you get out of court, you get out with bills. Right? You not only owe what you owed, but you owe for them keeping you plus all penalties and tax and fees over years. That was more than I could pay. I was going for Kool-Aid, y'all. <laughs> that was more than I could pay. The judge waived all of them. 
took every restriction off my license and said, have a good day. I got rewarded. I benefited too. My biggest benefit is some of my vision about God cleared up. I learned some things about God. I only have this story now because I had to go through it. You only know about Daniel because he went through it. You only know about Job because he went through it. You don't hear about the folks who went into it. As a matter of fact, I would say God doesn't really like starters, but he loves finishers. The greatest witness you could ever give God is to trust him for good and go through. Hebrews chapter 10. Look at it with me. And I'm going to end with this. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 36. Hey, and I ask you to do this every now and then. So would you tolerate me one more time? And what I want you to do is when the scripture is up, I just want you to read with me. The reason I want you to read this scripture is because the Bible does a lot of encouraging for us through providence and stuff like that. And I really encourage Bible reading because you can't live off of Tony's words. You can't live off the Pastor Steve's words. Great word from Brett, but you can't live off of Brett's word. You have to know the word of God. You can live off of every word of God. You can bank on it. When you read it in the word, you can claim to know it. So I want you to read with me. And then I want your hearts to go into worship with this song. While we're in worship, if you're in a place where you have to trust God's good, I want to invite you to come and bless pray together. I'm not going to pray with you. I just want us to come and pray. This is an act of faith, a step of faith, just to say, God, because I do it. I think it should be done sometimes. If I've been wrong about my understanding of God, I should repent. I should make it right with God. God, I'm sorry. I thought you were this way and you're not. I got it now. So right now I'm surrendering my situation to you and I'm trusting you for your good. Give me what it takes to go through it. To know that you work in all things and it's going to be all right. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 32, if you have that. Verse 32 through 36 is what we're just going to read out loud. Is that okay? So, that's all right, we get there. Through it, through it. In all things. There you go, right there. So would you stand and read this with me? Now, you're not reading for me, okay? You're reading for you, all right? I just want to share it with you. Let's read. Think back on those early days when you first learned about Christ. Remember how you remained faithful even though it meant terrible suffering. Sometimes you were exposed to public ridicule and were beaten, and sometimes you helped others who suffering the same things. You suffered along with those who were thrown into jail, and when you all you owned was taken from you, you accepted it, that should say with joy. But it works with Job. You knew there were better things waiting, what you know what you know you knew there were better things waiting for you that will last forever so do not throw away this confident trust in the Lord remember the great reward it brings you patient endurance is what you need 
That should say what you need now. So that you will continue to do God's will, then you will receive all that he promised. Worship team. Thank you for listening to City Life Church Podcast. 